Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we ask the question, is selling subscriptions for you? Interesting. Yeah. So this is going to be a little exploratory, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, But I spoke with uh, a fellow named Ron Baker yesterday for my Ditching Hourly podcast. And Ron is a value pricing uh, or value-based pricing evangelist. He's been, uh, he's a CPA and he's been trying to bury the timesheets for 25 years. He's very anti-ditching hourly. So we, we met along the way. We're on the same sort of mission. And we connected, I've interviewed him before, we've talked plenty of times, but uh, we connected uh, the other day because of a comment I made about having a concierge doctor and and he sort of tweeted at me with an extremely cryptic message where he said something along the lines of, there's a new value pricing in town, it's going to change everything and it's, it's so radical that I'm kind of scared by it. I was like, okay, we have to talk about this. <laughs> So we had that conversation yesterday, and the the idea is that I think I think it's pretty clear. Maybe this is just because I'm like in East Coast filter bubble, but I think it's pretty clear that the idea of subscribing to things that we used to own has become fairly mainstream. Is with things like Netflix and Spotify, and I mean, it wasn't that long ago when when. Pandora came out in the U.S., which was was way before Spotify. And, you know, I'm a musician. Lots of people that I'm friends with were like, not own your own records. That's crazy. What if I wanted to, you know, what if I wanted to, I don't know, have to carry 1,500 records from my old apartment to my new one? Like, <laughs> oh, I really miss that. <laughs> there are lots of different kinds of subscription businesses that are happening right now. Things like everything from your dinner, you can subscribe to Blue Apron or, you know, I'm subscribed to my razors for dollar shave club or harry's vitamins Um, yeah you can you can sign up for there's something called uh there's a watch one go watches or something like that and you can get like a a different watch every month a luxury watch every month or you can get there's another one for uh high-end handbags i don't think it's that radical like do you think it's that radical to for example not own your movies no not anymore it, yeah, it right? took it took a while, you know, psychologically for me to get to that point. You know, I had those those old VCR cartridges. That took a while to let <laughs> let those go. <laughs> yeah, I think last year we threw away like our last remnants of DVDs. You know, we had a few still kicking around. You know, a couple of Star Wars DVDs, and I was like, I'm not even going to remember I have these. I'm just going to buy the movie on Prime exactly. or wherever. Exactly, exactly. And the, the only downside I found is that sometimes you want to watch something specific and you can't find it anywhere. You know, like if you want to watch a holiday movie in October, um, Mm -hmm. it's hard to find them. But, you know, that's a small, that's a small thing, I think, in the scheme of things. Right. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's downsides, there's privacy concerns. What if they go out of business? Uh, All of these things are are issues. Ron's focus, as, as is our focus, is on people who offer professional services. And it was like, and he's been looking into how could you apply this sort of a subscription model to a services firm and software developers are extremely familiar with the idea of monthly recurring revenue. They all want to build a SaaS so that they can have, you know, users, they would call them and, and, you know, be making nine, 10, 29, 59, $89 a month from their user base 
and have sort of a predictable stream of income. They're still doing a lot of development, which they like, but they're just building their own product instead of products for customers. And that's, that's not uncommon at all. I hear lots of people talk about that, but that's software as a service. And what this kind of is, is like service as a service where you're doing a service and it's not priced on a particular customer basis or client basis. It's you're pricing across your entire membership and doing it in such a way that not necessarily every client is profitable. Some people might be really using a lot of your time or or energy, but other people just not use it at all. And they're completely happy to just pay for the peace of mind that comes with knowing that they could get an answer from an expert in, you know, 90 minutes on a weekday. So it's this weird, it's this weird kind of hybrid where it's got a little bit of an insurance characteristic to it. And it's got a little bit of an experience characteristic to it. Uh, it's got a little bit of an advisory retainer characteristic to it. Functionality and too. Yeah, it's very, it's very different. It, it, it feels like a little bit of a lot of different things. Ron's point is like, look, this is a macroeconomic trend that you can point to. It's happening all over the place. And, uh, you know, he had examples like Adobe and Porsche Passport and Club 33 at Disney. And, you know, there's there's tons of them. I can't point to a lot of examples where a professional who offers a high, t- you know, not a product like Porsche, you know, and you could say it's a service and you could say it's an experience and it's all, I suppose, true to a certain extent. But how does a how does a software developer or a CPA or a lawyer or an accountant or a copywriter offer their expertise packaged as a service that is is priced out across their entire customer base or their entire client base in a way that's profitable for everybody? And uh, so we kind of wanted to explore that a little bit today and see if we could come up with different examples for different types of industries where that would be feasible and potentially lucrative. Well, yeah. Plus, I think that our audience has an advantage because most of the people in our audience are solos. And if you were trying to do this as part of a firm, it's a lot more complex. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got different kinds of overhead. You have technology. You have salaries. I mean, you've got a whole – that's like a whole other thing. Incentives. Yeah, the way incentives are set up. Yeah, to do this as a solo, what's interesting is – well, we'll see whether you agree, Jonathan, but I'm thinking you don't have to go into it whole hog 100%. That's, you know, that's 100% of your business. You could ease into it, create a revenue stream, see how it works, experiment, expand, contract in certain things. I mean, I, I just think it's really interesting to explore. Yeah. And so even if we don't come up with like the be all and all answer, I'm sure we <laughs> won't, um, the, the hope is that the dear listener be a uh, light bulb will turn on and be like, Oh, I, you know, I have had this idea that kind of sounds like this. Maybe I should try a pilot. Um, or it just be, you know, it was just an obvious fit for someone. Cause it seems different based on the discipline, based on your area of expertise. It feels like it's different for everyone. So, you know, maybe this will trigger a light bulb moment for someone listening, or maybe we'll figure something out, but well, you know what I, I think would be really helpful, Jonathan, because we had a lot of conversation before the show about this, and we usually don't. We usually, you know, go live. I think if you explained the Porsche Passport idea, I feel like that would set sort of a, a way to think about it with products, and then we could maybe talk about like the doctor example and the services. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, that sounds great. 
so the Porsche Passport thing is you, you basically you pay $2,000 a month and you drive a Porsche, any Porsche, whatever one you want. Uh, well, there, there might be limitations. I don't know, you know, but the basic concept is you get to switch your car whenever you want. Uh, it's totally white glove concierge service. If you want uh, an, a Porsche SUV for the weekend, they'll bring it. They'll take the old one, you know, the other one. They'll take the Carrera and drop <laughs> off the Cayenne. And you don't or have to worry about the blue one for the red one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I wanted, so I wanted to match my whatever, my outfit. Or I want the convertible because it's going to be, not, you know, I saw the weather report. I want the convertible. And the idea is that you don't have to worry about a thing. They pay for the, they deal with the registration. They deal with maintenance. Uh, I, I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, you get a new one. I'm sure the tank is full. I'm sure it's not even a, not even a question. It's different from a loyalty program. It's different from a lease because a lease is just for one particular car and you're stuck with that car. Um, there's no mileage limitations. It's you just subscribe to Porsche basically. So like if you want to be, and in fact, they call it Porsche Passport because the people who were in the pilot program started to refer them, refer to themselves as citizens of Porsche as if it were a place. Oh, right. interesting. So, right. So you end up with customers for life. I mean, you, it's your, these are your customers to lose. They are not going to go to Cadillac. They're not going to go to BMW. They're probably not going to go to Tesla. I mean, this actually sounds like something Tesla would have done. I'm surprised they didn't. But they, but they're your customers for as long as you want them. It, it's like just don't screw it up, and they're going to stay. And the other thing this, that Ron mentioned that really surprised me was that 80% of the people who pay for Porsche Passport, it's their first time buying anything from the brand. It's not people who have owned one for a long time and are already sold on the idea. It's people who want the basically non-existent transaction costs of being able to be behind the wheel of a, a nice sports car. And I mean, when you think about it, buying a car, getting a lease, it is a huge pain in the butt. It's like registration, like this whole sales process and like going to the place and sitting there and waiting for a salesperson and tasting a test drive and signing the papers and getting all the insurance and re registration. And they handle a lot of it, of course. But what if you could change your car the way you change your socks? Uh, of course, it's not the same kind of a thing as a, a service business. It's it's really you're, you're subscribing to a hardware type of thing. There are lots of different kinds of subscription services. There's a sort of re replenishment where you subscribe to your razors and um, there's the front of the line type of thing, like uh, Disney's Club 33, I think it's called. And then there's the all you can eat model with Netflix or now Disney Plus just launched. So like you want any movie that Disney owns, tonight, whatever it is, $7.99 a month, everything, Star Wars, you know, Aladdin 2, you know, whatever you want, it's in there. So so maybe, you know, before we totally leave the Porsche example, what, what I think is really fascinating in any with each of these is what is it that the buyer is buying? So like with, with the Porsche, what, what are they buying? Like, is, is it peace of mind? Is it ease? Is it um, freedom from having to worry about any detail and still be in a Porsche? When you look at it from a brand perspective, that's getting really clear about what they're buying is, is only going to help you design a service. Yes. 
that's an important point. And I, I think the, I think there's a couple things going on in the Porsche example. I'm imagining this, this is not like from research or anything, but you know, and just talking to Ron, but I feel like I'm putting myself in those shoes and there's a huge brand component. So there's a status component for sure. You're buying a status, you know, you want to be seen driving a Porsche. Um, it, and I suppose there's probably an, uh, an argument to say that you are just an aficionado of driving and you, and, and you, it's not, you don't care that some people, I'm sure it's a status thing. Some people, it could be just the driving experience is I've never driven a Porsche, but I'm told that like the best car you can buy as a, if you're an, an avid driver or whatever that's called. Oh, please. I've driven one. I was underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you, know, you can t- direct all tweets at consulting chick on Twitter. I did not say that. Um, you're dealing with a rabid fan base here, Rochelle. Let me it, tell you. No, I know it, it was a it was a beautiful car, and it was it was an amazing experience. But it was a lot of work, and I drive a stick. I still drive a stick. I just it wasn't for me. But you know, I understood. Yeah. So so I, there's a status thing. There's probably just a, the physical experience of driving a, a really nice car. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, uh, but there's also the hassle free thing. Yes. Where you don't have to deal with any, I mean, I, I had to get our, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but I've failed to get Erica's car re-registered like over a year yeah. ago. <laughs> Faced with going to the DMV, I mean, the amount of money I would have paid to not have to go to the DMV was in the low four figures. I was like, and, and I and I ended up finding out that you could do it through AAA and it was like, it was a, this comedy it's a funny story we won't need to go into now, but definitely there's a hassle-free aspect because there are all of the, all of the administrative things that go along with having a car, the maintenance stuff, of course. And then, um, you touched on the idea of, uh, I don't, I don't know how to phrase it, but there's no decision paralysis because if you regret the choice, you just get a different one. So there's no decision paralysis around, you know, all of the, I think of all the options that a car has that you need, you know, if you're going to buy a car, you know, all of the different configurable options, it's totally overwhelming. And if you don't, if all of a sudden you don't have to worry about that and if you're like, yeah, you know what? I like the dark interior better. I'm going to, yeah. So next week I'm going to get the dark interior or I don't want the convertible. I do want the convertible. I want the SUV. I don't want the SUV. It does. It, you don't even all of those decisions. Which, if you've ever, if you've ever bought a car, I mean, the last time we bought a car, it was a big back and forth. Of like, how oh, do we get? You know, we just drive Outbacks, but it's like, you know, if, if you, it was a big back and forth between the Outback and there's like a, they have a new one. I can't remember the name of it, but it's it's bigger. And Erica kind of wanted that one. I kind of wanted the Outback. And fortunately, they didn't have the bigger one in the color that she wanted. So I was like, Phew. <laughs> <laughs> they had this horrible brown color. I was like, yes. But that's um, but that's yeah. the whole process, though. You know, when you when you're buying a big ticket item like that, you're it, that you're going to keep for a long time. You don't want to make yeah. a mistake. Exactly. There's a fear. There's like a buyer's yeah. remorse fear. Yeah. And all of that's gone. So I, you know, I think I just listed like five or six things that are far superior in my opinion, far superior, you know, and it's not cheap, of course, but, you know, 2000 bucks a month for your, your car all in, that's, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how much a payment would be on a Porsche, but there's no way it's 2000 bucks yeah, a month. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a lot for a car, but not a lot if you want 
peace of mind and knowing you didn't make a mistake. Right. Right. Yeah. And if you don't have to have that feeling of owning a car, you know that you you, you know that 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 blue nine eleven in your driveway is yours forever. <laughs> you know, it's because there's that piece too. Yeah, like I'm sure I'm sure there are hundreds of thousands of dollars for these cars, and you're just gonna park it in a stop and shop, like <laughs> like next to a you know careful. Next to a, Careful. Just like a beat up car where like a beat up car that they're not, maybe not going to pay attention. The five-year-old's not going to be that careful about opening the back door next to your $125,000 vehicle. It just seems so weird to, it's always seemed, I'm not a car guy, but it's always seemed weird to me to spend a lot of money on a car that you're, you know, and I live in New England, it's a terrible place to drive a car. So it's, I've never been, you know, so my personal bias is showing there. But it seems like a lot of money on the one hand, but you're not buying a car. That's the right. that's the bottom line. Is you're, you're buying, buying an experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're buying a passport to Porscheville or whatever it's called. <laughs> whatever they're the, so, uh, citizens of Porsche. Yes, and Porsche is like wildly. You know, I only know this from talking to Ron, but it's it's wildly profitable. Like their their market share is a rounding error. But they're by far not even close. It's B, it's Porsche and BMW are the two most profitable car companies by a, a mile. So it reminds me of old days of Apple, where you know they were they were teeny weeny market share. This is like probably two thousand five, two thousand six, right, early two thousands. Anyway, you never you go to Starbucks. There was no. It was all Windows machines. There was I was like the only guy with an Apple on his computer and. It was small market share, but they were highly profitable because the markup was so high and that would allow them to create products that were truly better. They were just amazing. So so now let's talk about the um, the concierge doctor. Because so now we've got this, you know, high-end product car experience. And so let's talk about the service aspect of that, where you're not buying a product, but a service. Right. So, so I have a concierge doctor, which doctors are the consummate professional. They feel they're almost like the archetype. Um, but you could imagine lawyers, accountants, uh, software developers, copywriters, anybody who does knowledge work, you could imagine them coming up with some kind of, of subscription that has some aspect of one of these different kinds of subscription programs. So the the way the doctor one works is you pay, you know, it's not, it's not nothing, but it's not, you basically pay an annual amount. That's roughly the amount of my monthly health insurance. So it's not like a huge, it's like I'm paying every month for health insurance. And then it's almost like I pay an extra month every year. And I have concierge access to this doctor. And what that allows the doctor to do is have, you know, as few as 100 patients. I think the sweet spot from Ron's research, the sweet spot's like 150 to 300 patients. And if they're all paying a non-trivial amount of money, that that allows, I'm going to say him because my doctor's a he, that allows him to have a small number of patients. And I think the the doctors who are the more traditional in the U.S. anyway, the more traditional sort of churn and burn health insurance type of you know, I need to see patients, see patients, see patients, see patients, because that's that's how you make money. And 
I went with my mom. She had some stuff that she needed to do, and she was in that world. And, you know, her doctor actually was super, super nice, but there was this constant clock ticking feeling. It was just like in stark contrast, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> to where my doctor, where I'll go in for my annual physical and two and a half hours in, I'm looking at my watch like, bro, I got to go. <laughs> He's asking me about my sleep. He's asking me about exercise. He's asking me about stress at work. We're talking about our kids. And he's, he's trying to like get to know like the, the small number of patients that he has. He wants to get to know them because that is going to allow him to give them better recommendations and keep them healthier. He doesn't make his money selling pills. He doesn't make his money sending people for procedures that, you know, that maybe do, maybe don't need. He makes his money from this membership fee, basically. And the, the less his patients need him, a.k.a. the healthier they are, the less work he has to do. So the incentives are aligned. If I'm not, because I'll go through phases where I'm not sleeping that much and he'll just like ride me. <laughs> I'm surprised. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if some concierge doctor, doctors proactively call or text their patients to like the way a personal trainer would to just be like, Hey everybody, it's Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much. You know, <laughs> kind of like your, your conscience, your good conscience. I've heard that they do that. There's a few in more than a few actually in LA, Beverly Hills, um, very high end. And I I've heard of that being done. I, I don't have it myself, but yeah. I mean, it makes sense because the doctor's trying to, Actually, it's really about outcomes when you think about it, right? It, the, the doctor's trying to make sure you have a better outcome. And there are a lot of things a doctor can do with you to have a better outcome than send you for a test or tell you to go on a diet. There's more to this than that. And especially if the doctor's maybe in, interested in like integrative medicine, yes, drugs, but also other things like acupuncture and things like that. Right. Yeah. So... The, the fear that crops up is that, you know, and this has been my experience talking about advisory retainers uh, because, I'll, you know, it was 24-7 unlimited access. If you need me, you call me. If you need me, you send me an email. If you need me, you text me. I don't want you to wait. I want you to, to get in touch with me at night or day whenever you need to. And when I explain that to people, they freak out because they're like, no way. I'll be a slave to my to my clients, they'll just be constantly on the phone with me. And, and you could imagine the same situation, even, even worse for a doctor who in, in lots of cases can't just diagnose it over an email or a text message, which is, a, which is something that we do or that you can do at least with my doctor, um, you know, office visits that, that takes 100% of the doctor's attention for the period of time that you're there, which as I pointed out is a long time. So it's like immediately you feel like you'll be overwhelmed by your clients, but the reality is in my doctor's case, in my case, when I was doing lots of advisory retainers and also in Ron's research, is that a small percentage of your, you know, like 10 or 15% of your client base takes up like 60% of your time. And the rest of the, you know, 80 to 85% of your client base barely ever talk to you. Yeah. And that has absolutely been true for me. 
I, I believe that. And I think part of it is when you're thinking about your own business now, listener, not, not you, Jonathan, is um, you think, oh, well, my clients would call me all the time. Well, they might because they're used to what you're doing now. But if you, if you created this subscription service in a certain way, you might find that it's not your current clients that are interested in it. It's a different kind of client. I mean, it's, it's possible they're the same, but I think if you're in the, that situation where you're going, oh, no, 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 my clients would drive me insane, then I, I, I would still say, still consider it. There might be other clients out there that would be a better fit for this model for you. Right. I didn't call it out when we were talking about it, but the that that's where I was headed with the 80% of the Porsche Passport people are new customers. It's it's not old customers who are thinking the old way. It's it's a different group. And if you if you are listening to this and thinking, especially I know software developers freak out when I talk about this because in designers too, because they're so used to being nickel and dimed with change requests that you know, and you just, you, I can, I've heard it a million times. It's like, I asked them this at the beginning and they said no. And now I built the whole thing and now they want it the way that I suggested <laughs> at the beginning, you know, why are, you know, clients from hell type of stuff or like, you know, make the logo bigger. Okay. I made the logo bigger. Now even bigger. Okay. I made the logo even bigger. Now, could you make it a little bit bigger and now move it to the center? It's like, <laughs> why didn't you give me all those changes at once or, or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. And to Rochelle's point, those are probably not the right customers. Uh, another thing to consider is that that might not be the right service. I, I haven't been thinking about this long enough to be 100% sure, but I'm pretty confident that the safest type of service to sell in this way is purely advisory, not execution. There's certainly profitable ways. I can imagine lots of profitable ways to do this with execution, uh, at least in the software space, maybe not other spaces, but I can imagine a few different ways to do this profit, profitably with execution included, which we can talk about. But advisory, which is you know may or may not be what you're selling your current clients, advisory uh, retainers. To that that that's essentially what I have with my doctor. It's an advisory retainer, where he doesn't do any procedures. He's like my primary care physician. He's a GP. And he'll like, the, the most they'll do is like, um, you know, blood pressure, turn your head and cough type stuff. And if I need a specialist or any kind of like a more in-depth attention or specialized equipment or anything like that, he'll send me somewhere. Right. And that's also and then, why you have still have insurance. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first of all, knowing that, that I've got someone who, who, not only is an expert, but knows me, right? So they're going to give me, I know he's going to give me great advice because if he gives me bad advice, I'm going to be in his office all the time. <laughs> so if he gives me good advice, I'm not going to be in his office all the time. I don't think, you know, I don't think he thinks of it that way, but there is a financial incentive for him to do a great job. And knowing me really well, allows him to do a better job than he could otherwise if he was just barely looking up from his computer while he's typing in my medical records. So that's a, a powerful difference. Like that motivation is powerful. And I, if with the people roll their eyes, I, I 
I know software developers roll their eyes at the idea of like, oh, you're paying for peace of mind. Like that sounds like something a cheesy insurance life insurance salesman is going to say to you, but it's real. It is. I listen, developers, people like me pay a lot for peace of mind when it comes to our technology solutions. I mean, one of the things I was thinking as you said that is, um, you know, I've had clients that where they're, you know, they're changing up their website pretty dramatically. And so they want, you know, they want a developer, they want some kind of a designer to work with them. And those services don't come cheap. Good people don't come cheap. And it's kind of like what they really want is a long-term relationship. And there, there must be a way to package that in a way that gives the business owners some peace of mind. And it isn't about moving the logo that you'll get that from the designer. You typically won't get that as much from the client, but there's got to be a way to design something that parses out the payment in some way. So they probably pay you significantly more than they would have for just a one-off, but they mm-hmm. get more and you get more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, for me, the decreased transaction cost of having like, um, an on-call design advisor would be very valuable. It wouldn't be like massively valuable, but it'd be pretty valuable. And if you could find 300 people like me who just want to ask you a couple of questions every six months when they're thinking of redesigning their website or they're putting together a, a deck or something and they just want you know, like, and, and they want to talk to somebody where they don't, I don't want to have to explain my whole business to a new person and hope they get it and hope they don't take forever to do you know, all the things that you worry about when you're going to hire someone, especially if you're hiring them by the hour and you have this sort of unbounded, like, Oh, um, I worked 80 hours last week. Here's your bill. Like what? So, so maybe one way to get there is let's say you're a developer and you do the upfront work is that automatically in every proposal you do, you have an ongoing option, but it only exists for uh, people and companies for whom you've already done the initial development. So you know you've created what's there. You're not inheriting somebody else's badass mistakes. Um, And so you set that up with some kind of a recurring payment. And I think I've seen that a few times uh, for clients, but what's interesting is nobody ever sells it the right way. It always comes up as like, oh yeah, this is just another thing so I can make money versus there's a peace of mind with this. I mean, I think if you position it and sell it a certain way with the right kind of client, selling to soloists, the solos who are buying this might not value it as much unless they're highly successful, but definitely firms will because people change. People turn over stuff changes. They want that, that legacy knowledge that comes with this stuff. And it's valuable. I'm thinking of how many developers I've looked at and they have a thing on their site and they say, not taking new assignments until November, 2020. And you're like, Oh no. So I would, I would look at selling access. Yeah. Right. Like to be able to get a quick answer, you know, I don't know if we talked about this before the show or on the show, but I've been paying for concierge medical uh, plan or whatever concierge doctor for probably more than 10 years. My usage of that service has been exactly like one physical per year for 10 years. And except for one time when I, I said, something's wrong. I need to come in or no, I said, I called up and I said, I don't, I don't feel right. Like something feels weird. And he asked me a couple, like, first of all, I called and got the doctor, like 
That's crazy. <laughs> that never happens. No, it's like I get the front desk and like, we'll put you through. Hold on. So boom, there's my doctor on the phone, knows everything about me because he can remember me because he's only got 150 patients or whatever and doesn't need a million charts. And he's like, well, tell me what's going on. I told him what was going on. He's like, well, why don't you just come down? You sound nervous. I was like, all right, 10 minutes later, I'm in his office. Like 10 minutes. Yeah. That's wow. seriously. Wow. It took me longer to get, like, I didn't have to wait at all. I just got, it took me longer to drive there, get it, walked right in. He's like, all right, let's, you know, roll up your sleeve. We'll take your blood pressure, blah, blah, blah. So, and the relief of like, you know, him, him basically was like, you're fine. I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, the yeah. relief is like it was worth the 10 years of payments and not having to wait two months for an appointment to find out. That or I'm go fine. to the ER or, you know, exactly. a dock in a box. Yeah. 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 So the so to, to the reason I brought that up was because certain clients would consider it extremely valuable to be able to get a, a an expert technical person, someone who understands, let's say, digital or uptime or network security or virus protection or something technical that software developers do be able to like pick up the phone and you know within a few minutes be talking to someone who already understands their business already knows the whole setup is is ready to answer um, a pressing question and i know that it seems impossible that clients like that exist but they definitely exist Oh, they do. And it, well, I was just thinking of an example in the financial advisory world. There are a lot of financial planners who now, I shouldn't say a lot. It's just, it's actually a very small group, but it's growing who work on retainer. So they, they, they're all different, but they'll typically have some kind of a formula that applies to things like your salary or your assets or both. And then there'll be something up front where they create a plan and they're working the plan. But basically, you have almost 24-7 access to your financial advisor. And you're paying, you're paying a monthly fee instead of, you know, something that you only see on a transaction when somebody, you know, trades or where they're taking it off of, of the investment return. It's just up front. Right. Mm -hmm. The point of this episode is to get you, dear listener, thinking about, you know, maybe thinking about your past clients. Is there something, because this is sort of like, it, it has some aspects of a productized service to it, but it's more like, it's a little bit, it's broader than that. It's less defined scope-wise. It's it's almost like you, you want to, you want to put yourself in a position where there, because there is a price, like there's a price that everything makes sense for you to own the whatever your domain is like you own that for your client it's like the client sees you as someone who handles handles their legal or handles their digital marketing or handles their finances and it's like it's like you're covered like if you have any kind of question any kind of problem you just just call me and we'll I'll point you in the right direction I'll give you an answer I'll give you a recommendation you know, whatever the thing is, I'll get you back to that state of peace where one minute you didn't know what to do and you were nervous. And the next minute you did know what to do and you weren't nervous. I mean, I was just thinking when you said that, you know, maybe CPAs, the example I could think with a CPA, because, you know, you're doing their tax returns, you're giving tax advice. But what happens if the IRS reaches out? Well, yeah, there's an audit. I mean, how many 
really how many of your clients are likely to have an audit to begin with. It's pretty small, but when they, when they talked about it, (laughs) Oh, okay. But when they have it, it's scary. Nobody wants an IRS audit. And then, and then you start looking at it and go, Oh my God, I'm going to have to pay my accountant to do this at, you know, however much an hour. What does that mean? What do I do? I mean, I, I think there could be, I could see that being some kind of a, of a retainer or subscription model. Yeah, well, we, we talked about that specific example because he is a CPA, and the and the the thing, the resistance that you'll get, or the objection that you'll get from the provider in a case like this, is that there's this kind of ingrained feeling about um, every engagement needs to be profitable, like individually, or every client needs to be profitable individually, and that it's a common question in the software space when I'm talking about not billing by the hour. People are like well, how do I know if my projects are profitable? And I'm like, look at your P&L. That's what it's for. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, but on a project by project basis. And I'll say, well, why do you care on a project by project basis? You know who your good clients are. You know who your bad clients are. Get rid of the bad clients. It's like there's this desire to know on a case by case basis, was every minute that I spent with this client profitable? And this is a different way to look at it. It's ingrained. They teach it to us in consulting. And if you look at any of the software for consultants like FreshBooks, one of the things they always tout is you can look at profitability by client because yeah, you're tracking your hours and expenses. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's built into the brain. Right. And that's why this is different than a productized service. And that's also why it's different from value pricing, because you're pricing your entire audience or your, your entire, uh, the whole client base. So yeah, some of your clients, you're going to be air quotes, losing money on. In other words, they're going to be using a lot more services than the amount that they're putting in. So if they're paying you $1,500 a year paid monthly, and they're, they're not constantly bugging you, but they're bugging you so much that you would have made more if you charged them by the hour, uh, that can feel like, oh, this is a bad idea. But you know, don't forget the yeah. 85% look of other people. You. <laughs> look behind you. Look at the money that's you. coming over exactly. here. Yeah. Right, right. And there's this, you know, nobody, I don't want to talk to my doctor all day. I don't want to talk to my lawyer all day. I have one question, two questions a year for those two people. But when I have those questions and I want them answered, I, it's, it feels urgent. I don't want to wait. I don't want shenanigans. I don't want to schedule something. I don't want to run around. I don't want to find a new one. I don't want to explain my whole business to them. I want to get Joe on the phone and say, Joe, there's a change in the business. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm hiring someone or I'm getting a VA or I'm uh, renting an office. What should I do about the, you know, financially, what should I do? You know, all of those things. Most people, well, this does boil down to who you're attracting with your marketing, but there, you, it is possible to attract a group of clients who really just want a couple of touches per year and the rest and they're happy to pay the essentially insurance premium to know that there's an expert who knows them understands their business is going to get right back to them with with um, solid answers yeah and the thing is don't underestimate the value of that because and again it depends on who your clients are but if your clients are other business owners um, chances are they value that I mean I just think about I remember changing accountants and the only reason I did was because one was so, so incredibly bad. 
if if she was just like a little bad, I just would have sucked it up because I didn't want to have to go find another one. But it was, you know, it was a situation where it was clear I had to change. And so when I found my new one, it was, you know, it was love at first sight, of course. But I mean, and she's terrific. I don't have any complaints. Um, but even if I did, I wouldn't switch easily. And that's the thing. You don't want to have to start over and explain all this stuff. It takes tremendous amount of time and energy that, that your client doesn't have to give. Yeah. I, I live in fear that my CPA is going to fire me. Like, <laughs> I wish she would charge me. Like, when that invoice comes in, it's the first thing I pay because she's a dream. Uh-huh. And, and I'm a disaster when it comes to <laughs> receipts and all of that stuff. I, I, w- I swear, I don't... Don't listen to this, Pat, but I wish she would charge me more or I wish she could. I wish I was just it's weird. Like the invoice comes in. Sometimes it's like, you know, oh, it's tax season. It's really high. Other times it's really low. I'm like, I wish it was just like a monthly amount. And when I had, you know, and they did some stuff and there is there's some execution to it. You know, they're doing my books and all that stuff. But, you know, she's got employees and that's down to a science. Um, they just they have logins for all my accounts. I don't have to do anything. Uh, they've got it set up the way they want it. So it's totally, you know, as simple as it could be for them. And uh, I mean, I would gladly pay the exact same way I pay my doctor. I would gladly pay, uh, to my accountant for sure. Dear listener, if you're skeptical or you can't think of ideas for how your clients might pay you in the same exact way, think about stuff you buy and stuff that you would rather subscribe to. Landscaper is another one for some bizarre reason. My landscaper who comes monthly bills by the hour. Like I ever look at that. I don't, I don't care how many hours it takes them. I'd prefer that it took fewer. It's like, you know, so when it comes through, I'm like, I just look at the amount and, and the reaction is sort of like a involuntary reaction is, is that worth it? I don't care how many hours it took them. You know, like, what do I want to, oh, well, 500 bucks for a monthly service, that's kind of high, but it took them a long time, so I guess it's fair. Like, that's not, I'm still going to fire them. I don't want to spend 500 bucks on my teeny little lawn, but you know what I mean? So if you, so it's almost like my accountant's almost there. She could switch to this, no problem. If she has enough clients like me, I don't know if she does, but if she has enough clients like me, she could switch to this, no problem. My landscaper could switch to this, no problem. Well, and I think we make this assumption that our clients aren't thinking like what you just described, but I guarantee some of them are if you're giving advisory services, they're thinking about that, or if they really don't do what you do. So, I mean, like this accountant that you, the CPA that you described, it's, it's almost like she's the opposite of you. And that's why you value her so much. It's why I value developers so much, right? Because I, I don't think like a developer. And when I need something strategic, I want that perspective. And I value it more than somebody who already thinks that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic case of pricing the wrong thing. So in the case of both my CPA and the, and the landscapers, they're, they're pricing the thing that is their cost. Like the thing that looms the largest in their mind is how many hours they're working. And, that, and so that's the most important thing to them. So that's the thing they price. But that's not what I'm buying. And that's the disconnect. I mean, that's, the, that's the, one of the core disconnects of, you know, hourly billing versus value pricing is like when you're b- billing by the hour, you think you're selling something that is not actually what your clients are buying. 
they're buying the outcome. They're buying the peace of mind. They're buying the experience of working with a world-class professional like you. They don't care how long it takes you. Yeah, but they're paying by the hour. They're yeah, buying you're forcing that, but they're them. paying. Yeah. You're forcing them to pay by the hour for it, which is, um, I mean, let's not go down that rabbit hole, but it's got lots of problems. But this model is very interesting, but it takes it takes some serious courage to look at 50 clients or imagine having 50 clients and saying, okay, they're covered. My clients are covered. If they have a need in my area of expertise, it's air quotes free for members who pay some amount of money per year. And they're, they're the, really the only question here is, um, is there a number, a price that you can set that's a good deal for you and a good deal for them. Because there's definitely a number that you could say, you know, $50,000 a year for 100 clients, each one pays me $50,000 a year to handle all of their financial issues. Like, well, I'm sure anyone, anyone who's on the seller side of the look, yeah, that's, that'd be great. That's tons of money. But, you know, okay, how are you going to find, what did I say, 100 clients who are going to get more than $50,000 worth of value in their financial uh, their financial life from you. Maybe, you know, there probably are, there are probably some high net worth individuals that are tired of paying a percentage of their gains to their, uh, the person who's managing their money. I would rather just play, a, pay a flat 50 grand and, and not get this kind of success tax that, you know, air quotes, success tax of like, if the, if the financial advisor does a good job, you have to pay them more and more and more because they're getting right. a percentage. Right. Well, and plus, in the case of financial advisors, there's so many other things besides investments. You know, there's what should you be doing? What are the your your goals? What do you want to sure. have happen? How do you yeah. want your life to go? Yeah, set up a trust, and how do I do that? And yeah, yeah. Or somebody's sick, and what does that look like? And do I need life insurance? Should I have long term disability? Should I sell my house now? We're thinking about when we retire, moving to Florida. Should we do that? So it's all of those kinds of things that have a value, but it's hard to answer those questions without knowing the financial situation, which in this case, they would already know. Right. And the ultimate irony is, you know, at least in the case of like my CPA, she does all that stuff for free because I would just ask her that stuff and she doesn't charge for that. And it's not like I ask her that stuff a lot, but that's the person I would call. I'd be like, oh, Pat, what's the, you know, I'm, yeah, I just, I just got an office. Like how does, what, what do we need to think about? And she'll like, tell me, put my mind at ease, feel like I'm under, I'm covered by somebody who actually knows what they're doing and isn't a nutty professor when it comes to receipts and things like that. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm fine. Please don't fire me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? And she, I would pay for that. I would, there's, you know, I don't know. It's. So hopefully what the point is, hopefully, dear listener, whatever it is that you do, whatever is your area of expertise, um, try just brainstorm with yourself or friends. Like imagine like what could you offer that, I mean, you could offer what you already do on an unlimited all you can eat basis if the price was high enough. Like no doubt. The question is like, well, who would buy it? Maybe nobody. So that's the tricky part. So you need to find something. Ideally, the easy way to do this, the way to do this on easy mode is to find something that's very easy for you to do and very valuable to the person on the other end of the phone, to the client, and then set a price that's somewhere in the middle, and then it's profitable to both parties. And then you can be like, all right, how many of these, you know, you've got, you do a pilot program, you sign up 10 clients for this monthly thing, and you get a sense of um, 
who the high maintenance ones are, what percentage of them are high maintenance. If you could identify high maintenance ones ahead of time to kind of filter them out, uh, and you start to get a you know get a pilot going and to get some data, uh, maybe you tweak the offering a little bit, and then you're like, all right, I could probably handle fifty of these. Like now that I've got it tweaked into shape, I could probably f- handle fifty clients like this if the percentages work out the same. And then it's like, okay, just scale it up, and now you've like five x to this part of your business. And and if and if you're doing it right. Most people are buying a thing that doesn't cost you anything, which is that it's, it's this insurance peace of mind. I don't have to worry because Pat's got my back or I don't have to worry because Rochelle or Jonathan has my back. I don't have to worry about this stuff. If I, it's second, I have a worry, I'll just email them and the worry will disappear. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's interesting because in professional services, what I wonder is, do they have to know you before? they'll commit to that. And I think the answer varies also depending on how much authority you've built, you know, how much market authority you've built. I think one of the things that would really be helpful is if you talk to some clients, like if you sit there and you brainstorm and you come up with some ideas is pick a few of your high value clients and ask to pick their brain about this, find out what they would value. I'm sure they'll tell you, like if, if your accountant called you, you would tell her, so oh, well, yeah. this, this would this would work, and you might not call them and say, "Julia, have you thought about doing this with your business?" No, but if they asked cheap. you, you would give them that feedback. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent, definitely. Yeah. yeah and, so that's great advice. Well, the other part of this is I have this feeling that a lot of us, you know, myself included, probably, is we we're not always sure what cl- what client X is buying from us. Right. And it's easy to say, oh, well, they're buying, you know, because I did this and I gave them this smart answer to that. But really, it might be confidence that we're selling. Oh, yeah. It's usually much higher. It's it's almost I can't. It's I'm human emotion. Say it's always way higher level than we think because we're down in the details. Yeah. It's it's usually much higher level. And this is why this is why it's so important to get testimonials, because they'll tell you. Yes. So yes. if you reach out and you say, what, what worries did you have before you th- went forward with this thing? Once you did go forward with it, what was the main benefit? And they're going to say something like, oh, I just, I slept better at night or my confidence went through the roof or my, my confidence in my strategy went from a two to a nine, you know, and what were three other benefits you got from this? Well, you know, they were great to work with or, you know, they never made me feel like an 80, you know, there's just, they'll just like brain dump this perfect testimonial that would be full of numbers and uh, and, and benefits. And they're not going to say one thing about like, and they work so hard and they put in so much time. They're not going to say that at all. And like their code was so elegant and the copywriting was so amazing. They're not going to say that they're going to talk about the transformation you made in their business or in their personal, in their inner being, you know, their like inner life or whatever you call it. And the, the how they feel after trading, the money that they gave, the money that changed hands, that's a trade. They traded that money. They didn't pay you. They traded that for the, the outcome that you gave them. And if they're happy with the trade, you know, if you have any happy clients, then they're happy with the trade. So it's like they know they got some, they got some output. Uh, sorry, they got some outcome, some business outcome that you almost, in my experience, almost nobody knows. Even though I know to do this, I still don't know what it was until, because it's super subjective. So then I'll send a testimonial and they'll, and they'll write, 
lately with me, it's like, oh, it's finally pushed me out of my comfort zone. And, you know, I was like sitting, resting my laurels and going nowhere and that kind of thing. But they're not like, oh, the, that weekly meetings were so great or they spent so much time <laughs> reviewing my, so, you know. Right, right. It's not stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. asking clients either just in a, you know, like Rochelle said, just being like, hey, I'm thinking about, I have this idea. Is there some, some way that, we, that you could imagine engaging with someone like me or you specifically engaging with me it, that was more of a subscription model? Like what is the outcome? Or just asking for testimonials and, and getting a sense of, what people are valuing and the changes that you are making in their businesses and like, Oh look, there's a thread. Everybody's saying kind of the same thing. Yeah. I just think that there is so much opportunity in this idea of creating subscriptions for professional advisors. And I think that there is a part of our psyche sometimes that resist it because like we're above that. We're not a product. We're not pushing product. But there's an opportunity here, potentially, for probably anybody listening to this, because I'm imagining that you've got a, you know, some kind of a professional service sort of business. There's an opportunity to look at this. And I think that's all we're saying is not that this is like the be all end all, but it's really interesting and it's worth a look to see if there's a place for this in your business model. Yes. I, yeah. Well said. Cool. All right. Well, that give you something to chew on, dear listener. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to chew on this too when this episode is over. Yeah. It's uh, it uh, it certainly made me think, and I and looking back on it, I discovered that I kind of have had these things in the past. I have monthly advisory retainers in the past were exactly this, and group coaching is very similar to this. But I think I could make some changes to it that would make it more. Uh, take on more characteristics of what, at least what Ron was describing. Folks should really check out Ron. It's Ronald J. Baker. He's the author of Implementing Value Pricing and a bunch of other best-selling books uh, about pricing. And uh, you can find, he's also got a show called The Soul of Enterprise. And I've never asked him why they named it that, but he and Ed Kless have a radio show that uh, is essentially like a podcast that you can check out. It's all, all really good stuff. He's also extremely funny, which is nice. Um, yeah, so check that out and uh, keep your eyes peeled on the Ditching Hourly podcast for the interview that spawned this discussion. Uh, it, should, it will be published by the time you hear this. So I think it's episode 160 of well, Ditching let's, Hourly. Well, let's put a link underneath the, in the show notes to sure, that. Sure, sure. Yep, definitely. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.